Okay. All right. We are going to continue our series, Wisdom for the Home, uh, studying the book of Proverbs. Today, we are approaching a very, very, um, it's not a difficult subject, it's a very frank subject. The title of our lesson today is Protecting the Marital Relationship. Whenever I personally come to this topic in the Bible, and uh, for example, one of the things I do for devotions is I will read through one psalm and one proverb uh, a day for a month or so. And any time I come to these passages in Proverbs, and there's about six or seven different passages in the book of Proverbs that deal with this, any time I come to these passages, there is a huge sense of humility that comes over me. Many of you know me, uh, and over 15 years ago, this very problem almost destroyed my life. So what I'm about to teach you from the Bible, first of all, is definitely not from me being the greatest example. I am a perfect example of if you don't listen, what can happen. Now, thank the Lord that God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness fixes all of our mistakes and all of our sins. However, what we're about to learn today, when God says it, He means it. And it's a horrible thing that destroys many lives and carries with it lifelong scars that never go away. And I'm living testimony of that. So as we approach this today, I approach this topic with unbelievable humility and with great fear and respect. Um, years ago when I was in college, I, used, I, I think I've told you this, I used to install ceiling fans, work with electricity. I got stung more than once working with electricity. I'm not afraid of it, but I fear it. I have a healthy respect for it. And that's how this topic is. So we're going to talk today about protecting the marital relationship. And in essence, what we're going to talk about is adultery. How it happens, what takes place, what can you do in your marriages to prevent it. And God talks a lot about it in the book of Proverbs. It's no wonder, since Solomon had uh, all those women as a part of his life, that this topic would be very prevalent throughout the book of Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 27. Let's start with verse number 8. The Bible says, like a bird that strays from its nest is a man who strays from his home. Like a bird who strays from his nest is a man who strays from his home. The first time I ever read this or used it in a Bible study, one of the questions that comes up is, well, does that mean that any time this happens, it's always the man's fault? Because God's addressing this to the man who leaves the home. Do women ever leave the home and do this? Well, do they? Of course they did. So, in this sense, what God is talking about is, number one, man does have the primary responsibility here. And we've seen that as we've studied the home and the position that God has given the man in the home. And unfortunately, our society has tried to distort that and ruin that. If you do it the right way, as we've seen, that's the way God intended for the home to be run. And, of course, the world today 
has a totally distorted and unbiblical view of how all that should work. So, we won't go back over that. However, the principles that we're going to look at today, just like all the principles in the Bible, are relative to every human being, whether we're a man or a woman. A woman can be tempted with sexual immorality just like a man can. We all can. We're human beings. And by the way, let me just begin by saying this. Anybody who thinks you are beyond this temptation or I would never do this, be very, very careful. I said the same thing years ago. Be very careful. Satan is far more powerful than we will ever dream of being. And if we do not put on the whole armor of God and allow God to fight that battle for us by doing what he tells us to do, we will lose that battle. Satan will win. So, as we get into these principles, understand that this is not just for the man. It's for all of us, and we all need to understand these principles. So, we're going to look at two things today. Number one, we need to understand the process of sin. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. We've actually talked about it before. But it's important that we look at this so you understand when God addresses this in the book of Proverbs, he's actually giving specific details about these three different steps in the process of sin. So first of all, let's go to James chapter 1 real quick, and let's just review the three steps in the process of sin. Whenever you and I as human beings sin, what do we do? What happens in our life? Well, James tells us this. Look at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. James says this, When tempted, by the way, that's where sin always starts, with a temptation. Remember 1 Corinthians 10, 13, or 13 tells us that no temptation has taken us but such as is common to man. God is faithful. He'll not let us be tempted beyond what we're able, but he'll make a way of escape so we can handle it. So just because temptation comes, and it will, God always will provide a way for us to overcome it. The problem comes when we don't want to take God's way. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it may change our lifestyle. But if God says this is how you overcome this, we can overcome it. we just got to learn to do what God says, okay? But remembering, that's not always easy to do, all right? Now, today, we're going to look at what God says, how to overcome this temptation, and, and you'll see when we get into that, some of that is kind of difficult. So, first of all, when we're tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Foundational truth. You and I need to understand, if we're ever tempted to sin, it's not God doing it. So, if it's not God doing it, and what's the only other option? Satan. Remember what Satan's plan is for our life? Jesus told Simon Peter, Simon, Satan wants to have you so he can sift you like wheat. Jesus told his disciples, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. That's what he wants to do to our life. So if I'm tempted to sin, it is not God doing it. It is Satan, and it's all a part of his plan to destroy my life, okay? So that's the first thing we've got to understand. Now, what does he do? If he's the one doing it, what's the process he uses? All right, there's three things. Sinful desire, satanic enticement, and then submission to the sin. Now, let's look at this in James chapter 1. 
Look with me at verse number 14. But each one is tempted when? And here God's going to tell us the process. Step number one. When by his own evil desire, he is dragged away. Sin always begins with an evil desire that comes, by the way, from the sin nature that we all have. That's why John said in 1 John 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We all have a sin nature. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things that I want to do, I can't find myself doing them because there is a war going on inside of me. We don't have time to look at it, um, but in Galatians chapter 5, and I wrote it down for you, Galatians 5, verses 16 through 19, the Bible describes the battle between the flesh and the spirit in our life. And all of us have that as believers. Okay? So, first of all, this desire from my flesh comes up. By the way, where do those desires start? In the mind. That's why the Bible talks so much about guarding our mind. It, let me ask you this question. Is it wrong to be tempted or to have that desire come up in my mind? Is that a sin? No. We're in the process of sin. So far, God has not said this is a sin. This is where it starts. It's not a sin yet. The desire has come up in my mind. Now let's look at the next thing, the sinful desire. Second of all, there's the satanic enticement. I want you to look at the next phrase. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away. The sinful desire comes up. Then number two, and enticed. Now who does the enticing? Satan does. It's not God. He already told us that. Satan does that. Now, by the way, you'll notice in your notes, I've given you a passage in Proverbs chapter 7, which we're going to go to in just a second, where God describes for us a young man who was enticed by a harlot, and he gave in. We're going to look at these three steps in that process. Okay? We'll go there in just a minute. So first of all, the desire comes up. Second of all, there is the enticing we begin to dwell on it, and Satan begins to give us all the reasons why it would be good, it would be fun, it would be great, and it's okay. That's the enticing process. Then number three, there is the submission to the sin. I want you to look at the next verse, verse 15. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to what? Sin. At that point... It becomes sin. When the desire came up in my head, it's not sin yet. I'm being enticed by it. It's still not sin yet. It's when I finally give in that it becomes sin. And you know what? A lot of Christians, by the way, live defeated lives of guilt because they battle with these evil desires in their mind. Yet you've never given in to them. But they think they're these horrible people because I think about these horrible things sometimes. Can I just let you in on a little secret? Every human being does that. It's part of being a human being. That's what we are. We have a sin nature. 
If you ever find a human being that never has an evil thought enter their mind, you will be in heaven looking at someone with a glorified body. We all have that, okay? Remember, when the desire comes and you're being enticed to sin, it's not sin yet. Fight it. And I'm going to show you how in just a minute. Battle that thing and let God give you victory. Don't give in to it. Once we give in, then it becomes sin, okay? So that's the process. Simple desire, satanic enticement, and then we submit to it and it becomes sin. Now go back to the book of Proverbs, and let's go to chapter 7. And let's look real quick at how this process plays out in this matter of protecting the marital relationship. How does this process manifest itself and cause problems in a marriage? Proverbs chapter 7, let's look at verses 1 through 9 at the sinful desire in this story. Verse 1, Proverbs 7. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on the fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. First of all, let me pause here to say, and we're going to talk more about this next week when we begin to study the three pillars of the home, the three things that hold the home up, knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. All of these things are talked about here. What is God talking about? He's talking about filling our lives with his word, with the principles of his word. Psalm 119, verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart so that I will not sin against you. This is the key to us not submitting to sin. That's why this book is so important. Okay, now let's see what happens. Look at verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He wasn't very wise. Why? Well, notice what he does. Verse 8. He was going down the street <coughs> Excuse me, near her corner, Walking along in the direction of her house. Bad mistake. That's why the Bible says that we are to abstain from all appearance of evil. Run from sin. When Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife, what did he do? Did he stand there and negotiate? He ran. He got as far away from her as he could. We are foolish. To think we can play with fire and not get burned. Because we will. Every single time. We are not strong enough to overcome the temptations of Satan if we don't do what God says. So, first of all, the kid made a mistake because he's walking in the wrong direction, getting near it, getting close to it. That was his first big mistake. Let's keep going. Um, verse number 9. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute, with crafty intent. What do you expect? That's where you are. You're right there giving her that opportunity. If he had not been in that part of town, near that home, would this have ever happened? No, it would not. So, he starts, here, here's the desire coming up. Now you're going to start to see the enticement. Let's keep going. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. 
Now in the street, now in the square, in every corner she lurks. Somebody might say, well, it's all her fault. Who cares whose fault it is? If it happens, they both suffer. Well, but I couldn't help it. It was all her fault. No, it wasn't. It was both people's fault. He should have never been there in the first place. All right, let's keep going. Um, verse 13. She took hold of him and kissed him. With a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I've fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I found you. All right. Can you see the enticement of Satan? He is making everything look like it's okay. He's making this kid feel like he's so important. You're the one I've been looking for all of my life. Baloney. You told that to the last five guys who came here. Satan doesn't care. He lies. Yeah, but no one would really be that evil. You want to bet? He is Satan, the father of lies. That's what he's doing. Look down at verse um, 19. Verse 18. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. By the way, a huge misnomer. This is not love. This is lust. Evil lust has nothing to do with love. Real love wouldn't do this. Let's keep going. My husband, verse 19, is not at home. That ought to be your first clue. She's married. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money. He'll not be home till full moon. Look at verse 21, the enticement. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. Please understand, Satan is behind this. That's how he works. He's very persuasive and he's very smooth. More so than we are. Look at verse 22. All at once, before he even realized what he was doing, he followed her. Like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a a snare. Little knowing, he doesn't even realize it, it will cost him his life. I'm going to tell you, it almost cost me my life. When God tells you this, He knows what He's talking about. He means it. I had no idea. All these lies, everything, I believed it all. Now let's keep going. Look at verse 25. Do not let your heart, there's the key, do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Don't go anywhere near this. Stay as far away from it as possible. Okay? So first of all, that is the process. That's how it happens. Now, how do we protect our marital relationship? So let's finish up our time by looking at these two things. In Proverbs chapter 7, I want you to look at verse number 24. Now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. God's about to tell us how to avoid this. Do not let your heart turn to her way or stray into her path. Many are the victims she's brought down. She has slain her mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Verse 25 is the key. Our heart. 
Two things I want to share with you out of Proverbs. Number one, guard your heart. The moment my heart opens itself to the world and the philosophy of the world, that's when this all starts. In Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the Bible says, Keep your heart, guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. In Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22, the Bible tells us how to do that. And He teaches us that we do it through His Word. That's how we guard our heart. Psalm 119, verse 9. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? How does a young man live a clean life? By taking heed, by doing what the Word of God says. Psalm 119, verse 11 talks about hiding God's Word in our heart so we will not sin. Okay. Now, there are four things in Proverbs chapter 2 which, by the way, we don't have time to look at all these. I've given you the verses. Um, in the next two weeks, we're actually going to look at all four of these in detail. So we'll have time to go through this. But in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, the Bible talks about knowledge. These, by the way, are the four things from God's Word that we gain that guard our heart or protect us. Knowledge. Number two, understanding. Proverbs chapter 2, and verse 9. Number three, wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 10 and 12. And then number four, discretion, Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11. You know what the rest of Proverbs chapter 2 talks about? How these four things will protect you from the adulterous woman. The whole rest of the chapter. If I have these four things, it will protect me from that sin. So in the next two weeks, we'll talk about these in more detail. But I want you to understand, he directly uses this as a way to guard my heart. I have to have knowledge of the Word of God. I've got to understand it. I've got to know how to apply it to my life. And I have to make wise choices. That's what discretion is. Okay? So, first of all, I've got to guard my heart. That's why your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is so vitally important. You and I have an enemy. His name is Satan. God clearly tells us that in several places. He's like a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. If I do not do what God says, and I don't walk with God, and I don't wear the armor of God in Ephesians 6, my enemy will win the battle for my life. I lose. I don't want to lose. It hurts. So, it's important that we guard our heart. Now, second of all, we've got to grow our marital relationship. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. Let me show you something here, and then we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and that's where we're going to finish. Proverbs chapter 5. By the way, there are many passages in the book of Proverbs that deal with um, this protecting the marital relationship and adultery. Most of them I have listed on the back of your study sheet in your private meditation time for this week. Uh, and you'll read through. You'll notice there are several of them in here that we're not going to get to. All of these are passages in Proverbs that deal with this topic. So I hope you'll take time to read those this week, and you'll, you'll better understand what we've been talking about when you start putting all that together, okay? But let's start, look at Proverbs 5, verse number 15. By the way, you'll notice Proverbs 5 talks about the same topic. When we come to verse 15, again, God is telling us how to keep from giving in to this sin. Verse 15, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the street, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. <laughs> What's he talking about? Guys, he's talking about 
only shall love physically, spiritually, and in every way to your own wife. Nobody else's. Ladies, be committed physically, spiritually, only to your own husband. Nobody else's. That's what he's saying. Because he just finished talking about adultery. And this is how you keep from getting involved in that. Stick to your own spouse. Now, that doesn't take rocket science or a Ph.D. in theology to understand that. But how do you do that? All right, let's keep going. Verse 17. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. (coughs) You need to find joy with your wife and ladies with your husband. That means you need to be best friends. If there's anybody else in your life that you call your best friend, you got problems. Your best friend is the person you're married to. If it's not, you're going to have big trouble. You know how many couples have trouble because the guy wants to hang out with the guys all the time? Because those are his best friends. Same thing with girls. They never want to be at home. They always want to go out with the girls. Why? Those are her best friends. That means there's problems at home. Do you remember when you were growing up? Did you ever have a best friend when you were growing up? I did. I wanted to be with them all the time. I always wanted to go over to their house or have them come over to my house. If you got a best friend, that's who you want to be with all the time. It needs to be your spouse. If it's not, you need to cultivate that. Okay? So that's what he's talking about here. Look at verse 19. A loving doe and a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Gentlemen, I told you it was Frank. God is saying physically, her body better give you everything you will ever want. Because if it doesn't, he promises you, you ain't never going to find it in another woman's body. You better learn to be satisfied with the one you got. In marital counseling, one of the things I talk to these couples about is the physical relationship. We go through 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There's nothing in the Bible that says you can't marry somebody who is physically attractive to you. Well, I know they're not the best looking I've ever seen, but they're just such a nice person. You better not marry them. They better be the best looking thing you've ever seen. Because if they're not... Whoever that is will come along one day. Satan will make sure of it. They better be the best looking thing you've ever seen in your life. And it needs to stay that way. And I'm telling you, if it's not, you're headed for some rough times. I told you it's Frank, but I'm trying to protect you. Okay? All right, let's keep going. By the way, I didn't say it. God did. All right? Let's keep going. Look at verse 20. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord. He examines all his past. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin will hold him fast. He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. All right, real quick, because we're running out of time. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And let me give you... These four ways to grow your marital relationship, our marital relationship. By the way, they're not easy. They take work, and you'll have to do these things the rest of your life. 
and work at them as a married couple. My wife and I, Denise and I, have been married almost 14 years now. We have to work at this. And it doesn't get no easier. It just gets harder. But if you want to protect your relationship, this is what we have to do. Okay? 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. Uh-oh. Paul, what are you talking about? Well, we don't have time to go through all that, but he's not saying that it's a sin to get married. Okay? So please understand that. But, verse 2. Since there is so much immorality, sexual promiscuity, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. We're talking about protecting the marital relationship. That's what he's talking about. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so you can devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again. Why? So that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. That's exactly what we've been talking about in the book of Proverbs. Satan tempting us because of our lack of self-control in the marital relationship. Okay? Now let me give you these four things. These are the four things we've got to have to grow our marital relationship. Number one, contentment. In the book of Hebrews, the Bible tells us in chapter 13, uh, as a matter of fact, hold your finger out. You need to see this verse. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And I want you to look at verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all. By the way, our society today doesn't honor marriage. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they said, you know, it used to be that in this particular state, they named the state, that one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. Do you know it's not that many anymore? You know why? Because people just don't get married. They don't get married. They don't honor the institution of marriage anymore. Our society is destroying the institution of marriage. God never said it was okay to do that. God says here, marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all sexual immoral. All the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Interesting. In these two verses, God talks about the two things that destroy most marriages. Sexual immorality and money. And you know what he says the answer to both of them is? To be content with what you have. In both areas. Okay? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7. So I need to be content. I need to be content with the woman I've got. I need to be content with the man I've got. We're married for life. I've got to learn to be content with that. Number two, consideration. Look at verse number three. The Bible says the husband should fulfill the marital duty of his wife, the wife to her husband. The wife's body doesn't belong to her, but to her husband. The same way the husband's body doesn't belong to him, but also to his wife. Consideration. Do you know you need to be considerate of each other? Let me just be frank with you. Do you know that the physical relationship in marriage, sex in marriage, is not about you? It's about them. And I'm just being frank. It's not wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. If that's what your physical relationship is, you're headed for problems. 
It's not about that. It's about each other. It's showing love for each other. That's what marriage is all about. Marriage is spending the rest of our life learning how to love each other better. And and I'm telling you, God warns us we need to be considerate of each other. Think of each other. Okay? Number three, communication. Look at verse number five. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and in that for a time. Let me ask you something. How can you and I mutually consent about something or on something if we don't ever communicate? How can you and your spouse mutually consent to something if you never communicate? One of the, and by the way, if you do your small group this week and you get into these study questions, they're pretty frank too. One of the things you're going to talk about is, do you ever talk together about your physical relationship? Let me ask you something. Fellas, do you know what meets your wife's needs physically? And vice versa. Girls, do you know what meets your husband's needs physically? Do you know that the majority of young couples would say, no, I don't? You know why? They never talk about it. They think there's something wrong with it. Well, if you're not married, there is. But if you're married, it's part of your responsibility to each other. You need to talk about it. Do you know there are couples that go for years in their marital relationship physically not doing what the other really needs? And the other one never says anything. They just agree. It destroys marriages. Marriage is honorable, and the bed, the marriage bed, is undefiled. It should be kept pure. Did you realize that there is a marriage bed? That's part of marriage. And, and the truth is, a lot of times we're embarrassed or we're scared to talk about it. But it's very important. Okay? So there needs to be communication. And then finally, and number four, and this is the foundation to everything, there needs to be consecration, commitment. First of all, to the Lord and then to each other. Look at verse number five again. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent, and that for a time, so that you can devote yourself to prayer. What is this saying? This is saying my commitment to Christ takes priority over every other commitment and relationship in my life. I know I'm responsible, honey, to take care of you, but I need this time to pray. Is that okay? Yes, honey, that's fine. But when you're done, he says, you come back together. That's the commitment to your spouse. And if you don't, if you go for long extended periods of time without coming together, and in the context, he's talking about coming together physically. If you go for long, extended periods of time without communicating about it, without mutually consenting not to do it, you just don't. God says if you don't, you will be tempted by Satan and he will target your lack of discipline. Now why do you think he says he'll target our lack of self-control or discipline? Because we've all got it. We all have tendencies that way. We're human. Okay? So how do we grow that relationship? 
First of all, you've got to be content. Consideration. Think of each other. There's got to be communication. You've got to talk. And there's got to be consecration. First to the Lord and then to each other. Okay? Sorry this was so fast. Actually, it is a topic, and, and that passage in Hebrews 13 is so critical. And it, to me, it's so interesting that in both of those verses, he deals with the two things that Satan uses the most to destroy our marriages. The physical relationship and money. And yet, he says the key to both is to be content. Now, here's what you need to do. Work together. Talk. The most important person physically in your life right now is your spouse. Jesus Christ is in your life spiritually. But the most important person in your life is your spouse. Protect your marital relationship by putting Christ in the center of it and asking Him to help us to do what it is He says we need to do to grow that relationship. Okay, Father, thank You for Your Word. How frank it is and how pointed. Because You love us and You're trying to protect us. Lord, I pray for each of these marriages. I pray again for mine. Put a hedge about us and protect us. Be the strength and the guide of our marriage. Strengthen our relationships with our spouses. And Lord, may our lives and our marriages bring glory to You. Defeat Satan. Keep him out. Don't let him hurt us. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody. Have a great